Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, you can tell your mom that I moved to Arkansas. (laughs) And you can tell your dog to bite my leg. These are some good lyrics right here, everybody. You were just singing the song. You were just singing the song, everybody. See, you just don't know the verses, do you? You just know the breaky heart. Let let me read these incredible lyrics to you. You can tell your brother Cliff, whose fist can tell my lip, he never really liked me anyway. That's some good old church hymns right there, isn't it, huh? Or you can tell your Aunt Louise, tell her anything you please. Myself already knows I'm not okay. Or you can tell my eyes to watch out for my mind. It might be walking out on me one day. Now, it doesn't sound quite the same without the twang. How many know? But don't tell my heart. My what? It just might not understand, right? Come on, those are some good. How many know? How many long for the good old days with those good, deep lyrics, everybody, right? Huh? Uh, I love the last line of the chorus. It says this. It might blow up and kill this man. Wow. There's a song to dance to, everybody, huh? Yeah. When I think of that song, I think of mullets for some reason. I'm not really sure. But in all seriousness, uh, I I just wanted to make a little fun of that song, just have a little fun, take you down memory lane, see how spiritual my church was, and I got a lot of work to do. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in this series, Issues of the Heart, uh, it's really based off Proverbs chapter number 4. I want to read it to you and let's dive in this morning. Proverbs chapter number 4, verse number 23. It says, above all else. Those first words tell us the priority of this. This is not a secondary issue. That above everything else that we do, above everything, here's what we ought to guard. Guard your heart. And then it answers the question, Why? So it tells us the priority, it tells us what, and it tells us why. The priority is above everything. What do we guard? We guard our heart. We don't guard our theology first. We guard our heart first. And then for everything you do flows from it. Wow. In other words, what that verse tells me is that what's going on in my heart will eventually show up in my life. Right, everybody? And, and so the big idea of this series is this. Out of the heart flows the issues of life. or it, it fl- Everything flows from it. And so um, from the heart flows these things. It flows things like our feelings. Our feelings flow from our heart. And, and the things we desire flow from our heart. And, and the passions that we have come from our heart. And even the thoughts that we think are formulated first in the heart or in the soul. But we're using the word heart in this. And so the big idea then, then if our, if our heart is not healthy, then we can't expect that our feelings would be healthy. Right? right? And, and how many know, already know you've lived long enough to discover that your feelings can lie to you? Yeah. <laughs> right? And if we make decisions based on feelings, how many know we can make bad decisions? Am I right so far? Right? I love that last song that we sang today. Uh, We need stuff to get from the head to the heart. We don't need more education in church this morning. What we need is for it to transition down here so that we can have some revelation of this today. 
And, and, and how many know you can have destructive desires based on how the heart is doing? Right? And, and based on where the heart is, we can have perverted passions and, and we can have wrong thoughts. And, um, and so eventually what will happen with an unhealthy, distorted, perverted, unsound, harmful, morally bad... And, 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 and I found this, too. I, I have found that when my heart isn't healthy, it's not so much my actions I have to guard, because I've lived life long enough to know how to act in public. <laughs> how many know what I'm talking about, right? You know when you were two and you threw a temper tantrum in the grocery store? Well, hopefully now that you're 22, you're not still doing that, because most of us have learned how to act. But it's not the actions that I'm concerned about in my own life. I don't know about you. Because I know how to act. But it's the reactions that I have that still sneak up and bite me sometimes. And when my reactions aren't healthy, I know that I've got to look inwardly, not just at the circumstances that cause the reaction, but I've got to look at the heart and what the heart is doing. In fact, Proverbs says it this way in chapter 27, verse number 19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. In other words, what's going on in our physical lives is a reflection of what's going on somewhere in our heart. So last week, we dealt with a restless heart. Uh, I was shocked. I think we stepped on a nerve because uh, I had more conversations, emails about that message probably than anything throughout the whole year. Today, what I want to do is I want to discuss, with all that being said, I want to discuss a broken heart. An achy, breaky heart, right? A, a broken heart comes from the disappointments in life. Uh, can I just take a survey so we kind of know who we're talking to? How many's had, uh, not life, let, let, let's make it a little m more direct than that, not life disappointments. How many's had disappointments that you've had to deal with this year? Can I see your hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you don't have your hand up, uh, live a little longer. <laughs> I don't mean to be uh, telling you bad news, but that's just what happens in this world that we live. There's, there's disappointments. People let us down. Circumstances let us down. Governments let us down. Come on, am I right about this, right? And so broken heart comes from disappointments. It comes from despair. It comes from discouragement. How I many know it's kind of easy right now? If you let yourself go there, it's kind of easy to get discouraged these days. It is, right? I mean, simple things like when it costs more to fill up your gas tank than it did to buy the car that you're filling up, how many know you can get, it's easy to get discouraged, right? We're all living in it. Or, or, or when you call your wife and say, hey, I'd like to eat out tonight, and you drive home and there's a sandwich on the front porch, how many know it's easy to get discouraged, right? <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, of course. I might find my lunch on the porch this morning now. Can anybody take me to lunch today? I'm, I'm looking for... What happens, though, when a bad moment turns into a bad day, and we don't know how to navigate that bad day, and that bad day has turned into a bad week, and that bad week lingers to becoming a bad month, and that bad month just becomes this bad season, and this bad season eventually simply becomes a bad life, and everything is bad. The whole world stinks. See, when we are discouraged, 
Uh, when discouragement turns into, it, it'll turn into serious depression. And that's when the heart is broken. Watch this. Here's another word. It's when the heart is heavy. You ever had a heavy heart? When your heart is broken then, follow the logic, then your desires can be broken. The things, the people that you want to date, the, the people, uh, never mind, I'll leave that one alone. The, the, our thoughts can be broken and, and so forth and so on. You get that picture. And, and here's the problem oftentimes, is that the offense or the thing that caused the broken heart, it's long gone. The, 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 the action, the hurt, the attack, whatever the event was, it's long gone, but the brokenness is still there. The occurrence happened five years ago, but the brokenness is still there. Because we buy this lie that time will heal all wounds, but time does not heal all wounds. Because if you say anything or bump in anywhere close to that wound, there is a reaction leaving you saying, where did that come from while I was holding my Bible and singing a Christian song, right? Come on, everybody. Uh, it, it's a wound that happened a long time ago. And, and here's often how I see it played out. We, we just start existing. We, we've, never really, we, we've never really healed the broken heart. We've just learned how to navigate around the broken heart. It, it's kind of like the person that nothing's really wrong, but nothing's really right. It's just existing. Um, David dealt with this. So don't feel bad if you have a broken heart. There's no condemnation for having a broken heart. There's plenty of things that can cause broken heart. What I want to help us do is learn how to heal those broken hearts. Uh, David dealt with this in Psalms uh, 42. He said, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Now, don't read on. Have you ever woke up one day or have you ever caught yourself in the middle of the day and said, what is my problem? Why am I down? Why am I in a bad mood? A anybody at all besides me? Help my brother out, all right? Uh, like, like, what is going on? And sometimes it's hard to identify today because the wound happened way back there yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and he says, why so disturbed within me? And then he says, put your hope in God. He's telling his heart what to do. He, he, he's he's self-talking to himself. He says, look, you've got to put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, let's break this down. Um, I want to give you, last week was three. This week, I want to give you four things to consider about a broken heart. And, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the brokenness. I'm going to spend the le least amount of time talking on the fixes. But I think the fixes uh, are things that we have to go out of here and work on. So let's look at it. I want to talk to you about the facts of a broken heart. Um, the fears that accompany a broken heart. Because when our heart is broken, it opens us up for all kind of fears that it might happen again. Because if one person did me wrong, then I'm sure the other person's going to do me wrong. And so it opens up fears. And then, and then the fears turn into feelings. And now we got feelings that we're trying to navigate. And how many know feelings can be very intense? And then lastly, I want to give you in the last little part, not that it's minimized, but I want to talk about the fixes. So here we go. Number one are the facts of a broken heart. Here's what I need somebody to know today. You're not the only one with a broken heart. Here's what I need you to know. Everybody gets discouraged from time to time. 
It's not about being discouraged. It's about the level you allow yourself to fall to when you're discouraged. And it's about what tools do you have to come back out of the discouragement. We live in a fallen world and discouragement can happen. Discouragement is synonymous with words like despair. Uh, despair, uh, the word despair in its original means to separate from the whole, right? So think about that in a heart, a broken heart. My heart is whole, but now I'm discouraged or I'm in despair and it's separate. It's, it's broken. It's like two halves almost. Uh, another word for despair is the word broken. Um, and, and here's what else I know. Tell me if you think this is true. Discouragement can be very contagious, Huh? Right? And, 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 and watch this. This is an important, this would make a great leadership lesson. But there are those that want to rise up in leadership and you want to have more influence. But until you learn to steward your heart, God can't give you more influence because discouragement is contagious. Could you imagine me coming up here on Sunday morning and saying, man, everybody, this week just really stunk. I mean, and I just really pour it all out, all my discouragement, all my despair, every problem that went wrong. I even pointed out the people that did those things, huh? And then if that wasn't enough, I'm just going to put it on Facebook in case you didn't hear it the first time. Can you imagine the mood in this place? Come on, we love it around here because there's this life-giving atmosphere. But how many know discouragement can be contagious, right? I once heard this said that neither God nor man can use a discouraged person. Ooh. I, I, I've been discouraged. It, it, what it, what the word means is when all my courage is drained out of me. I, 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 I've, been, I've been punctured, something has happened, and I'm discouraged. I was so discouraged in 2011, I wanted to leave the ministry. But here's what an encourager is. An encourager is someone that comes and pours courage back into you. An encourager says where you're at is not where you have to stay. An encourager says your best days are still ahead of you. An encourager tells you that God is for you. Come on, everybody. That's what an encourager does. What would it look like if our whole church was filled with a whole bunch of encouragers? Mm, life givers. You say, yeah, but I need to be encouraged. I have found one of the best ways to be encouraged is by encouraging somebody else. It's a mean trick to play on the devil. When he's trying to discourage you, you turn around and encourage somebody else. Right, everyone? I read a story one time. No, I didn't read the story. I remember this story from when I was a kid in church. And I remember a preacher telling the story. Some of you have probably heard it. He was talking about when the devil was selling all of his tools. Have you ever heard this illustration? He said the devil was trying to sell all of his tools, and somebody came across the most beat-up tool, the most used tool, was the most expensive tool in the sale. And that tool was the tool of discouragement. It's the tool he uses the most. It's the tool that gets the most mileage, and it's the most expensive, valuable tool in his hand. I have found that discouragement often comes, though, Here's one of the facts I know. So if you're discouraged today, here's some hope. I have found that if I keep my eyes on Jesus, that discouragement often is preceded by a breakthrough. 
Uh, let me just give you one illustration. I don't want to make my message about that, but he, here's Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, 400 and something years of slavery. They're leaving. Man, they're singing songs. All of a sudden, they're confronted with the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind and is chasing them. How many think there could be maybe some discouragement? How many think as they were standing at the Red Sea, they were singing, don't tell my heart? My... I, I don't think so. Maybe that's who made the song up. I'm not sure. But I have a feeling they were discouraged. But on the brinks of discouragement comes an open sea and an encouragement in the miracles of God. Talk about some armies of Israel who were discouraged hiding in their tent because a big giant was on the other bank. Right? Discouragement. But right on the brink of an encouragement. So you may be discouraged today, but you could be seconds away from a breakthrough. Because God knows right where your heart is. Right, everybody? Come on, give the Lord a good hand clap on that. Number two. So those are some facts uh, that everyone gets discouraged from time to time. It's not about that. It's about how do we come out of that. So number two, I want to talk a little bit about the fears that come with the discouragement. So now let me lay a Bible character as, as a backdrop for us to consider. I've preached on him before and I've talked about him in this vein before. Um, but in 1 Kings chapter number 18, we're introduced to a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah, many scholars would call him the prophet of power. Incredible uh, man of God. And in the Old Testament, a prophet was somebody that would hear from God and come tell the people what God was saying and give instruction. And so he's this great prophet. His problem was he lived in a time during the reign of a king by the name of Ahab. And Ahab was a bad dude, and he did not like the prophets of God. But Ahab wasn't so bad. He was married to a witchy woman. <laughs> Her name was Jezebel, and Jezebel was one bad woman. Here's a clue. If you're trying to be biblical and you're new to Christianity, do not name your baby daughter Jezebel, all right? <laughs> just, just don't do it, all right? So anyway, if you did, let's have a meeting and let's get that name changed. All right, everyone. <laughs> And so Elijah one day says this. Elijah says, okay, God speaks to him and says, I want to challenge the prophets of Baal. There are 450 prophets of Baal, false gods, leading people to a false god. And he says this to him. He says, let's have a showdown. Let's climb up to the top of the mountain. Let's build an altar and let's pray to our God. And whatever God answers with fire, let it be known from now on that that is the real genuine deal. All right? That's who God is. And so some of you know the story. And, and they go up and they build the, the altar. And Elijah is so bold that while they're building their altar and they're crying out to their God, Elijah is making fun of them. How I many know that's a bad dude right there? It's you by yourself with 450 devil-worshipping prophets of Baal. And he's making fun of them. You can read it. It's great. 1 Kings 18 is better than any Hollywood movie. Because he's standing there saying, hey, cry a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Uh, right? I mean, like, I mean, that's stuff we Facebook, but we don't say it in public. You know what I'm saying, right? And, and, and so, I mean, he's making fun of them. They start cutting themselves. No fire. You know the story. Elijah builds his altar. He says, hey, God, show everybody today that you're God. The fire comes. It's this great, powerful story. That would be fun to preach. 
But let's preach the discouraged part of that story. So after the fire, after the miracle, after God shows up, after the greatest church service you could ever imagine, fire comes down from heaven. Beat that, Radius Church. Right? And so look at the story, 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. Now Ahab, the bad king, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And by the way, I didn't finish that. Elijah then, this is really medieval, Old Testament, crazy stuff here. But Elijah goes after the fire comes down and kills the 450 prophets. That is, (laughs) hoorah. (laughs) I love my church. I just love my church. I'm all nervous saying, well, this is Old Testament. you got to understand. Yeah! <laughs> That's an Old Testament Christian over there. All right. Anyway. And, and, and so he goes home and tells his wife, hey, look, man, Elijah did this. Killed all the prophets. They're all dead. And, uh, which is an amazing scene in itself. But i got to stay on course. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, here's what she does. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. So here's a queen somewhere way off in a castle that sends a message to this dude that just called fire down from heaven, just single-handedly killed 450 prophets, and now Elijah is going to respond to this one woman. Check it out. It goes on, and it says, and he was afraid. What? He was afraid? Well, not only was he afraid, it gets worse. And he arose and he ran from a woman that wasn't even in his face. And he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, and um, I'll leave it right there. By the way, could you back up a minute? I'm curious about something that i just seen that I need to preach one day. Uh, if I do not make your life as one of these by this time tomorrow. If you know the rest of the story, he went a day's journey. He ran a whole day, which means by this time tomorrow, he wasn't dead, which ought to remind all of us that every enemy that is lying to us, that when it doesn't come true, what the enemy says will come true, we ought to call it a lie because that's what it is. Yeah. Amen, everybody? Right. But here's what I know. Elijah was afraid. Watch this. Fear came in. Discouragement. Broken heart came in. He was expecting something else and didn't get what he expected. And here's what I know. Broken hearts, discouragement can lead to isolation. Am I right about this? It can lead to it physically. Don't want to open the curtains, don't want to go nowhere, don't want to see nobody. It can lead to it spiritually, don't feel like going to church. Do you know when you don't feel like going to church is the time you need church the most? Mm -hmm. So come on in in a bad mood. It's okay. We know you need it, all right? Do you know it could cause you to isolate emotionally? Yeah, it'll cause you to isolate because the enemy wants to get you alone. He wants you to be offended and leave the church. He wants you to get mad at somebody in the church because they're not perfect, because he wants to get you alone. He never wants you to voice your ideas. He never wants you to get in a social circle. He never wants you to go to the chosen life group. How's that, Phil, huh? Yeah, he never wants you to do those things, right? I was watching this documentary on Netflix that I thought it was fascinating 
uh, it was about a man by the name of uh, Janez Ruse. And uh, he was this young shoemaker when he went into hiding at his sister's farmhouse in June 1945. Watch this. He hid for 32 years. He hid fearing punishment of a pro-Nazi regime. He was found years later when his sister went out to buy a large supply of bread in a nearby village, and that led to them discovering him. And when they interviewed him, here's what he said. He said, if I had not been discovered, I would have remained in hiding. He wasted 32 years because of discouragement. Now, that's a crazy story, but here's the question you know I'm going to ask. How many of us are wasting our lives because somewhere along the way, somebody let us down, our hearts became broken, and we have been hiding ever since? 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 4. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. How many know you're really discouraged? Right? I have had enough. Have you ever prayed that prayer to the Lord? I've had enough. (laughs) Well, if you haven't prayed it to the Lord, many of you moms have said it to your kids. I know that's true, right? (laughs) I've just had enough. I don't even know how to process anymore. I've just, I'm on overload. I've had enough. I can't hear more information. I can't intake anymore. I've just had enough, Lord. Take my life. Watch what he says here. I find this fascinating. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now now he's getting others involved. Uh, Let me clarify something really quick right here. Aloneness, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to make up the word aloneness versus loneliness. They're two different things. See, loneliness is an inner emptiness. That's what loneliness is. You can be in a crowd of people, everybody high-fiving, getting coffee, talking, chattering, smiling, laughing. You could be in a crowd of people and still be lonely because inside you've been broken and you can't contain any fullness. It's despair, right? It's a broken heart. Now, aloneness, it might be inner fulfillment, right? Uh, some, some personalities, and I'm this way, I, I love being around you. I love Sundays, but I need a moment to go to the gas station all by myself <laughs> so that I can recover and fuel back up. There's a difference, everybody. Loneliness will cause you to live in a cave like Elijah and not live in your cause. First Kings 19.9, check it out. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here? If I could just, if I could, God, would you echo that voice in everyone that has left their cause, and they're living in a cave because of a broken heart, and would you ask them the question, what in the world are you doing here? My son died for you. The same power that rose him out of the grave is the same power that is in you. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. What are you doing here, everyone? What are you doing here? It's a great question, isn't it? So we have some facts and we have some um, fears. Let's, let, let's look at some feelings real quick. Let, let's, let's pick on Elijah a little bit, all right? Some feelings. 
Uh, now, when we talk about feelings, we've got to remember that feelings are not facts. Feelings are feelings. And feelings can lie to you. If you're making decisions based on feelings, how many know you can make a wrong decision? Uh, let me give you a super, illustra- a super simple illustration. Uh, it, it's, it's super easy, and, but it'll say what I'm saying. I feel like a loser. Well, that feeling is not fact. Because if you're a born-again child of God, the facts are that you are more than a conqueror. That the same power that rose Jesus out of the grave is the same power that lives and dwells inside of you. In all things, uh, I am more than a conqueror, right? Right? So I could feel one way, but that doesn't make it a fact. Remember, feelings flow from the heart. And a broken heart brings broken feelings. An unhealthy heart brings unhealthy feelings or distorted feelings. Okay? 1 Kings 19.10 says this. Uh, He replied, Now watch Elijah replying to God. Remember, his heart's broken. And see if you don't see it in his language. Watch him. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Doesn't it already sound like a pity poor me party? Man, I have done all this stuff. I have read my Bible every day. I've been very zealous for you, God. I'm a good Christian. Mm -hmm. And and, and the Israelites, you know, those other people, they're bad. They don't even read their Bibles. They've rejected you. But God, I'm doing all the right things. Mm, Come on, keep following me. And you have put, they have, they've even gone as far as to put your prophets to death with the sword. Now watch what he says. Tell me this isn't a distorted feeling. I'm the only one. I'm just, I just want to make a soap opera out of this, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm the only true Christian. The whole world is losing it. I'm the only person of God. I'm the only one that didn't bow my knee. I'm the only one that really loves you, God. I mean, look at all these fake Christians here today, God. Right? That's, that's basically what he's saying. I've seen some posts recently about you fake Christians. Well, how do you know? Right? I'm just on a journey. I'm not where you are. That doesn't make me fake. Right? And, and, and now they are trying to kill me too. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm no better than my dad and all the family. Life is terrible. That's what a broken heart will do. It'll distort everything. It'll distort every person in your life because you see that person as you see the people or person that uh, was the catalyst of a broken heart to start with. And sometimes, I I, I won't preach this, but if you reread this, sometimes a broken heart comes from thinking more of yourself than you ought to. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't deserve to be treated like, I know we don't deserve anything, but live with it. Because bad things happen to good people. Well, I don't deserve to be talked to that way. It'll break your heart if you start thinking higher of yourself. Okay, I better leave that one alone. All right. So a broken heart, remember, it's distortion. See what he says? I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's doing God, good, God. But, but, but here's, here's a secret. He wasn't doing life with anybody. He ran for a whole day by himself. 
He camped out in a cave by himself. And when you're by yourself and you don't have any friends to smack you upside the head and say, quit thinking that way and show you your blind spots, how many know you will go far in your own thinking, right? Come on. I use this illustration all the time. But back in the days of American Idol, we seen all the people that were doing life by themselves. Because they would get up and say, I'm going to be the next American Idol. And then when they had sing, all the dogs would start howling. It was horrible. And what I know is they have no friends because a friend should have told them, don't you dare go and embarrass yourself. You've embarrassed your family. you got to change your name. you got to move out of the country because you thought something and you didn't allow nobody to speak into your life, Elijah. I'm the only one. I'm the winner of American Idol, huh? Right? And Elijah begins to do something that's very dangerous and prevalent in our culture today, especially amongst younger people, and that is he began to compare himself. 1 Kings 19, verses 4, uh, going back. While he himself went a day's journey, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that the Lord, to the Lord that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Watch what he says. I am no better than my ancestors. He's comparing. I should have been farther along. I should be stronger than him. I should be faster than them. I should be smarter than them. But they keep posting pictures and make me look less than, and I'm comparing my race to someone else's race, and that will get you a broken heart really, really fast, right? Come on, everybody, right? And when you start doing that, let me just give you a little side note here. When you start doing that, the problem's no longer the problem. The problem is how you think about the problem. That's really your problem. Did you follow that? The problem's no longer the issue. How many would agree with me, or you've done it, I'll raise both my hands. Well, one only goes up halfway, so here we go. It's not the problem, it's how I handled the problem that became the problem. Anybody? Yeah, the rest of you, you're the problem. All right, so, I'm just kidding. I want to make sure you're awake, all right? So watch this. God argues back with them. I don't know why. Maybe just put him in his place. God says, yet I have left 7,000 in Israel. I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal. Oh, you're the only one? I got 7,000 guys over here that haven't bowed. Can I tell you something? The devil will always try to tell you, you're the only one going through this. You don't have nobody to call. Nobody at that church really cares. And all the while, God's saying, no, there's a whole bunch of other people that are in the very same boat as you. Amen? In 2011, I made the story that I was so discouraged that I almost left ministry. But there was about three years building up to that. In 2007, I resigned the church that I loved dearly. We pastored for nearly 13 years. And we left there, came to this valley, and circumstances happened while I was here that was discouraging, but circumstances from the past began to show up that really discouraged me. Um, We had just finished a $10 million building program. My, at the time, best friend was hired to run all the books and the contracts and that building, only to find out that when I resigned, I found out that he had used the money out of my retirement funds to pay some of the vendors that he couldn't get paid, that couldn't get paid. And so I lost my retirement fund. And I was bummed out. And uh, it it began the process of discouragement. 
I've been living here for about a year when I found the house that we had built, our dream home. We had it reappraised because I don't know if you remember this thing in 2008, the economy crashed. And Las Vegas and Detroit, Michigan were the two biggest foreclosure cities in America. And the house that we had built that had a lot of equity in it, that very house, one year to the very week, was, less, was worth less than half of what it was a year prior. And I wasn't even there to live in it. At the same time, about a year later, the credit card company called me and said, hey, look, we've been looking for you. You owe $53,000 past due debt. The way that happened is this church that I loved when I took it, it was in bankruptcy. And so I used my credit card to pay for things, and every month we'd pay it off for the things of the church. Well, over the years, that card just got renewed by the, by the uh, administrative staff in the front office that uh, uh, purchased all the things for the office, copiers and copy machines and paper and all that. And that bill was about $10,000 a month, but they just paid it right off. It was all the supplies of a, of a church that size, and, and they just always renewed it. I never even knew that it got renewed. But in 2008, the economy crashed. The new pastor made a horrible decision and had a moral failure. One Sunday alone, 400 people left that church. How many know in the bad economy? So I found out my retirement was gone. I found out our house that we built together was gone. And I had a credit card company calling me and saying, they had been using the credit card to pay the bills, and they couldn't pay the bills back, but it was in my name. How I many you know that will lead you to some discouragement, everybody? And I'm only telling you the pieces of the story that I can tell you. It, I was so discouraged, and I was so, I couldn't believe that the people that I'd spent 13 years with, the guy that had one time been my pastor and my best friend, I just, I was beside myself because I was more trusting in people than I was trusting in God. But how many know God, whatever the devil uses, wants to use for bad, God has a way to turn it around? And he turned it around in my life. Now, it wasn't easy. And that's why I left this last point for last. I'm going to give them to you as though they're easy. But I know that they're not. They're easy to stand up here and preach. And it's a whole lot easier on this side of discouragement than it was on the other side of discouragement. But I learned from Elijah's life, and I applied them in my life. And God used these principles to rescue me. I'm going to give four of them to you. I'll give them to you quick and we'll close. Number four is the fixes of a broken heart. Um, so here we are. Number one, the fixes of a broken heart. Number one, rest and eat physically and spiritually. Now, if you're looking for something way more profound, I'm sorry. This is the <laughs> pastor you got, all right? Um, it, it Not only did it happen in Elijah's life, it's what needed to happen in my life. Because that wore me out emotionally, it wore me out physically. And, and, and it, when you begin to spiral, how many know that will wear you out physically also and emotionally? Anybody here ever been there? And, and so um, let me tell you what Elijah did, and then let me tell you how I mimicked that. What Elijah did in verse number 5, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Watch this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Now, wouldn't that be enough to get you out of your discouragement already? <laughs> You're snoozing away, and an angel says, uh, Excuse me, um, right? He wakes up. There's an angel. And the angel says, Get up and eat. 
That's it. There is something profound in that verse. Because he is so discouraged that he just prayed that his life would end. And God sends an angel not to say, where you're at is not where you have to stay. He doesn't remind him, hey, God is good. He's got a plan for your life. No, the first thing he says is, wake up and eat. And there's a principle there. When I left here in 2011, Patty and Jake went back to Michigan. Janessa went to Australia. And I went to this foreign land called Alabama. (laughs) And they found me a little bunkhouse. And I stayed in this bunkhouse for five weeks. And I went to church. I didn't tell anybody that I had been a pastor. And I went to Chris Hodges' church in Birmingham, Alabama. I went to every staff meeting. I went to every life group meeting. I went to everything that I could for five weeks with no responsibility. And all I did was take care of myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I didn't contribute one thing. When I sat in staff meetings and they said, hey, does anybody have an idea for this series? I had truckloads of sermons. I could have said, oh, yeah, I got an idea. But I just sat there. I I didn't give out anything. All I did was take in. Take in and take in and take in. Alabama, woo, they love some food down there. I went to all the best restaurants you can imagine, man. I'm telling you. Uh, They even have grits down there. You guys don't know anything about that. All right, so... Now, now, last week I told you that every Saturday I have a Sabbath. I have a Sabbath for the exact same reason that I went to Alabama for five weeks. I have a Sabbath so that I can rest physically, I can tune out emotionally, and I can get prepared spiritually. My Sabbath is not legalistic. It's all about refreshing my soul because I have to steward my emotions if I'm going to come and face you every week. Amen? So, that's number one. You have to... Eat and rest physically and spiritually. You know, I believe the enemy is trying to keep us so busy that all of us wear busyness like a badge when we ought to wear busyness as a detriment in our life. Number two. Here's the second thing Elijah did. He moved towards God. Now, this might seem like a really silly point until you begin to realize the emotions of a broken heart. What do you feel like doing? Going away pulling away. Especially if you grew up under legalistic teaching, it makes you feel condemned for feeling that way in the first place, and it pushes you away. And I don't want to engage. I don't want to be with my church family. I don't want to worship. I just don't feel like it because my soul is downcast. Has anybody ever felt like this? So watch what Elijah did. He moved towards God, so he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. Now here's why he's moving toward God. Because in the Old Testament, Horeb was the mountain of God. It was the place where the glory cloud of God was. See, it says it right here, the mountain of God. So that's what he did. He moved towards God. John 15 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, come on. He's saying, I want you to take a step toward me. Listen, many of us are asking for God to show up in our life, but God might be saying, would you just take a step towards me? Would you admit that you need me? Would you cry out to me? Would your soul just cry out? I've got so much for you if you would quit moving away from me and move towards me. Remember, your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will say, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to press into God. But your feelings are distorted because your heart has been broken. Does that make sense? Number three, the third thing is you got to get back in the game. 
You got to get in the game. Here's one thing I know and I love about our dream team. Our dream team, some of them you would never know are going through the greatest hell you could ever imagine, but with a smile on their face, they hand you a cup of coffee. With a smile on their face, they take your child into ministry. With a smile on their face, they greet you at the door because they have found that the greatest place to overcome a broken heart is helping others that might have a broken heart because you reap what you sow. Come on, everybody, right? Yeah. You got to get in the game. Watch this. And by the way, there's a good time for me to plug Vision Night. You ought to come out on December the 2nd and learn how to get on the team. Well, I just need my heart to get better first. Your heart's healing will speed up when you're a part of the solution. When you recognize you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Uh, uh, Let me read it to you to prove it to you in Scripture, and then i got to close. I'm out of time. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Now, I was going to say a bunch more about that, but right? you got to get back in the game. Elijah, just a few days ago, you were on top of the mountain, and you were praying, and fire was falling down. What I need you to do is get back to that place. I need you. Listen, every one of you here ought to have a go-to book of the Bible, a go-to verse, a go-to song set that helps you enter into the presence of God, a go-to friend, a go-to phone number. And when, In other words, when you're discouraged, you ought to go back to the things that encourage you. This is my favorite book of the Bible. This is my favorite person to hang out with when I'm down. This is who I call when I get discouraged, right? Come on, everyone. All right, let me close up. i got to close. Number four, uh, he got into a life-giving friendship. Yeah, and, and he's never done that before. So he went to Chosen on Sunday night. <laughs> How am I doing, Phil? You like that? Come on now. <laughs> he, he got into a life-giving friendship that became the most enriched friendship he ever had. Verse number 19, I love the story when Elijah, whew, he meets Elisha. And they both needed each other. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. And then, if you don't know the rest of that story, go read 1 Kings chapter number 19. i got to close right there. Would you stand with me, everybody?